Welcome to Zeocast, six questions for industry leaders in unmanned aerial systems, geospatial, and the industries that surround them. Brought to you by Zeo Air. Sit back and enjoy this week's guest. This week on Zeocast with Bronwyn Morgan is Don Birchoff. Don is the CEO of True Weather Solutions, which synthesizes complex weather data sets into simple decision insights for the unmanned aerial systems, ground transportation, and logistics industries. Don is a retired Air Force colonel with over 35 years of experience in weather, aviation, and logistics systems. He also has over 300 hours as an airborne meteorologist. Join me in welcoming Don Birchoff. Don Birchoff, it is so great to have you on Zeocast today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I just love to talk weather and drones. So thanks for the opportunity. Better to talk weather with than you. So with that, Don, what is your background and how did you develop your professional credentials and interest in weather? Well, you know, I don't think you want my whole story because one of the things you'll learn about meteorologists is that the bug or the passion to be a weatherman or weather woman, it starts really young. Usually I was seven years old and I, uh, you know, I just we had a mm-hmm. big snowstorm in New York City in 1969. And it just fascinated the hell out of me. So what happened was I just that that's when I knew I wanted to be a meteorologist. I went to school for it, got my degree in meteorology and then uh, went into the Air Force and had a 24 year career where, you know, I did a lot of really cool things. I, I flew, you know, I was, a, uh, I was a non-rated crew member as a, as a command control weather officer on an airplane. So I was able to fly in the weather I predicted. Didn't always work out that well when the pilot got annoyed with me because we were trapped in a plane and I had to listen to my uh, crappy forecast, but, um, but it, it right. helps you become more resilient, right. About and humble about how powerful the atmosphere is. I, I then, um, you know, built big regional weather centers and really focused my energies on really how can you maximize use of weather information to achieve greater objectives. And the military, we did that at the uh, Tanker Airlift Control Center. Um, That's the main tanker and airlift base around the world for the Air Force. Uh, I shouldn't say base. It's the main uh, 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 command control center. And, you know, so they would fly 100,000 missions a year around the globe and they would um, have to move stuff people and we were responsible for planning that and executing it and when i got up there i was a squadron commander i quickly realized that that we were not using weather well in the process they were not even really using it in the planning process and they were averaging about five thousand weather delays a year at that point out of a hundred thousand so they had a five percent rate which equaled about a half a billion dollars that's what the cost was to the Air Force. And so I started watching how they were making decisions. And I quickly realized that we, we could be adding value here, you know, using the data a different way. And then also how people made decisions in their workflow and understanding and educating them about what they could do to do things like have a controlled delay or maybe reroute things differently uh, and things like that. And so in 2001, they actually approved us 
uh, putting together a weather risk framework, and then we integrated with the decision systems. And in one year, we cut the delays from 5,000 to 1,800. It's really, you know, where my credentials started building. And then I ran an Air Force base in Central Asia, and I, you know, it was the main staging base in Afghanistan. And uh, we had also at that time, I was also became an emergency operations center director. I was qualified and certified at Atlantic City. And so, you know, things started rolling on my operational background. And when you start combining that ops background with the weather, you really start to understand how things are impacted. And you can really start, you know, peeling back the onion on workflow and, and understanding how you can apply all this. I, um, I, after I retired, I went to the National Weather Service and mm -hmm. I became the science and technology director there. And so that role was all about taking the best science and technology that the nation had and trying to get that into operations in the government for weather and improve weather forecasting. And what that did is it really demonstrated to me all the great tools that are out there that are not being used today. Uh, I like to tell people that we're underserving uh, the, the economy because of this. And so I began to realize that government can't do it all themselves. And that with the new tools we have now for machine learning and AI and, and with data sets being so fungible, I realized that we can go and do more on the outside in the private sector to accelerate taking all this great science and technology, turning it into really useful products and applications, and then making it available in formats that can really uh, impact decisions. So I, I left the Weather Service in 2012 and started working in the private sector. And, you know, that's been the mission right now for me is to uh, really try to help weather sensitive businesses get the full value out of data, but also finding the best new tools in science. Right. And so the drone industry got my attention mm -hmm. in 2017 because there was a program up here in New York called the Genius Program, and it's run out of the Tech Garden in Syracuse. And. That's where, you know, we were also starting the test range up here in New York and New York invested a lot of money in that test range. And I realized at that point that this is the white space. This is the area that's going to a have the most weather sensitive uh, impacts on anything we've ever done in weather. I mean, really, this is like, you know, we really have to become much better at what we do to support this industry. And I also understood, you know, that the operators themselves were going to if they wanted to scale the industry. Um, that, you know, weather was going to be impactful enough that it was going to hurt their ROI, right? So, um, you know, the price of weather, the cost of weather on the U.S. economy is $640 billion a year. And that's really just people losing productivity, not, you know, not using weather data properly. 40% of that is recoverable. So what, that's what we're focusing on, true weather. And we want to help the drone industry grow and accelerate and be successful and profitable and we think weather is a key component of that formula. Wow. So I want you to go a little bit deeper and tell us a little bit more about what is AI-based micro weather prediction? Well, you know, first of all, AI is a buzzword that sometimes is not, mm -hmm. you know, it's conflated with reality, right? Um, so what I like to do is when people ask me about AI and micro weather, the first thing I like to do is set the table by reminding folks that you have to have historical training data sets in order to be effective at using AI, right? You can't, you know, if you don't have right. data, you can't, <laughs> you can't build an AI model. And, and so the problem is, is that um, in weather, we don't have very good historical data sets. I mean, we, we have, 
data sets from airports. You know, we have data sets from satellite. We have data sets from balloon launches and things like that. But so much of the atmosphere is not measured, right? So, you know, when it comes to micro weather and the fact that the satellites themselves don't really penetrate into the lower levels of the atmosphere far enough, you really don't have a data set in the boundary layer, we call it, which is mm -hmm. from the surface to maybe 5,000 feet. It's a very, very weak area for us in terms of data. And, and that's our biggest challenge in weather in serving the UAS industry is that we just don't have a lot of good data. So we model the atmosphere mm -hmm. instead, right? And what we do is we, we take the data we do have and we, we prepare it in a way and put it on a grid and then we average it out across different areas and then we, we run a model from that. But you're already starting with uh, your, mm -hmm. your initial conditions aren't even right. Right. We don't really know what's happening at 300 feet mm -hmm. in a valley over New York State. We don't know. We, just, we estimate what we think it would be mm -hmm. based on how the atmosphere should be behaving. Right. And, and so you're already starting every prediction you start with already has errors in it. Right. And then you run those out and then you get more errors. And so the thing we have to do is, you know, we have to use AI smartly in weather until we can collect more data. Right. And so. One of the areas that, you know, we, we can do some AI and prediction is in taking um, new measurements that come out either from drones themselves, which is going to be really valuable to have that data set. You know, we need that data because they'll be flying through the area. We don't have data today. And we start collecting the data sets. It's the same problem in the cities, right? We don't have data around how winds behave in an urban canyon. So you can't really do AI. And there are weather companies out there advertising they're doing AI, but they're really doing it on such a coarse scale that mm -hmm. it doesn't apply to micro weather right now. Right? It will apply to general weather patterns and it'll improve things, but it's not ready yet for what I call prime mm -hmm. time micro weather for drones. So we've got to start building that data set. But once we start collecting data off of drones, once we start getting more sensors out there, IoT sensors, we can then take that data and we can run our model and then we can correct our model with that historical data set and start tuning it. And we can then take those errors we have in our model and we can reduce them because we're using re realistic data now to, to nudge it. And that's what AI would be about. It's about continuously taking new data from drones and IoT sensors and continuously building that database, which then gives us a real solution that we can then apply and say, okay, this model is in this situation this model doesn't do well with this. And then we look at what it actually happened, what actually happened, and then we can uh, apply it back to the model and correct that deficiency. So that's one way that we're, we're gonna use AI for micro weather. Um, so that, that's, it's still gonna oh, yeah. be a journey though. It's not gonna, it's gonna take time this for that database and, the, and get the better. AI issue, um, you know, I hear people thinking that this is magic and you know, all of these models, all the data has to be trained and it takes time for data collection. And so, you know, with that, you know, right. specifically around using drones and, and sensors to collect data, how will this impact day-to-day -day drone operations? You know, for a company like mine, how will this impact what we do? How will this, how will this help us? Well, you know, if we get data from drones and we can build our database and we start collecting data in areas that we never had data before, like in microclimate areas in valleys or, you know, near 
water sources or and and where these little microclimates happen thermals you know uh, heat rising off the city none of this has ever been measured before right so what happens is we get these drones flying over these areas and we start building a database and we can compare that to what historically we've been predicting and we could see where our errors are what that's going to do though is that machine learning or the ai is going to then give us a better forecast for microclimates and so what that'll lead to is better understanding of wind conditions aloft, right? Because, you know, today, a lot of people that fly, they use surface winds to make their mm -hmm. flight plans at two, 300 feet. Those are not relevant in a lot of cases. You know, your winds could exactly. be five to 10 knots stronger. And that, that mm -hmm. pushes your battery power, right? And so the impacts are in, is in planning, how much weight you can carry, um, how far you can go safely and know you're going to get back with 20% reserve on your battery, we'll be able to fine tune that to the point where you can reliably depend on that information to make those flight planning decisions. Today, there's a lot of uncertainty. So you have mm -hmm, to be exactly. more conservative in your planning, right? And, and that means sometimes you even ground your aircraft when you don't have to. Um, about 40% of the time uh, in, uh, during a weather event, uh, aircraft will get grounded mm -hmm. when they can still be flying because we just don't know what's happening. There's so much uncertainty that you've got to just be conservative. My, you know, what True Weather wants to do is you want to reduce that uncertainty by getting this data so that we can get you more flight time. So we could say you can go up now and that gets you more time on your asset. It gets you more money. It generates more revenue it, and it allows you to keep your customer happy because, you know, they don't like it when you tell them, well, I can't fly because of weather. And they look outside and they go, well, there's no weather, but they don't see the winds you know, blowing at 30 knots, so they don't see the thermals. They, it's invisible to them. So, you know, these are all the things True Weather's working on is trying to figure out how can we get you more ROI, how we get you better client satisfaction, how you can schedule your, your assets better, how you can keep your people busy rather than standing around and watching the weather. And, and, and we think, you know, about 40% of the cost of weather on operations, we can recover that. And generally, that's about 10% of your operations budget is weather impacts. Yeah. So you can, like, I could say like in Los Angeles, it might be 5%, but I could tell you like in, in Alaska, it's probably mm -hmm. 20% of your operations. And if we can get 40% of that back, if you have a hundred million dollars, say operations budget, mm -hmm. I'm saying some people may not have that yet, but let's say someday you do, you know, this is the cost of flying, the cost of your, your manpower, the cost of your batteries, whatever it is, right. That goes into that cost of goods calculation. If it's a hundred million, you're gonna if you're in Alaska, you're probably gonna spend twenty right. million dollars due to weather. And if you can get back four percent of forty uh, percent of that, you know you can get that cut down to from twenty million maybe to you know ten million say, and all of a sudden that's real money, right? And and these and these tools that we're building aren't that expensive. That you know it's gonna cost you eight million dollars for it, right? So that's what we're trying to work on. That's the benefit of machine learning, better data lower uncertainty, more flight time, and just getting back some of those lost revenue, that well, lost revenue so you're experiencing you I've today. i about that many times. You know, I think about cold weather uh, and how that will impact my business, you know, up north, um, you know, at certain times of the year and based on equipment capability. And that's a real, that really impacts what we do. You know, we can't really de-ice these little props. So, you know, what does that mean for us? And so, mm -hmm. you know, based on, 
you know, dramatic climate change, you know, wildfire intensity is increasing on the West Coast, frequency of hurricanes, and I'm just talking about this from a, a perspective of the United States, uh, frequency of hurricanes, tornadoes in unexpected places. How will this really shape our work in the future? I mean, you've really, you know, kind of gone into detail here on, on the cost savings, the ROI, you know, the improvement in revenue, um, but we've got dramatic weather that seems to be increasing every year. Um, how will this really work in sync with that to make, I mean, because you, you're only predicting what's happening at, you know, you know, within a, a very real time matrix, but based on the intensity of this, these changes, how will, do you think that's going to impact our operations period? Well, here's the thing is that, you know, I, you know, I'll put on my emergency operations mm -hmm. center director hat now. Right. So you know, I always think of these disasters, not necessarily by how many they are, but how we're going to mm -hmm. prepare, respond to recover from them. Right. And do it. And the whole idea there is to save lives as quickly as possible and to really understand the damage and, and where you have to focus your resources to get people out safely. So I think of the whole drone thing from a perspective, it's, an, it's, a, it's a surveillance tool that is going to help us accelerate those things, right? If you can't drive around in the fires because the lumber, you know, the, the trees have fallen down, or if you're in a hurricane environment where the, everything's flooded, you can't get around very easily. But you can get a drone up, you can start surveilling right away and you could you know begin to target resources to where they have to be right at least people are not wasting time trying to get through something that they don't have to get to because when they get there there's no mm -hmm. the, the damage wasn't what they expected right so to me it's all about speed and mission execution and when i think about drones and i think about weather you know we want to make sure those drones are pre-deployed properly in the right place if we anticipate a natural disaster, right? You want to have them as close to target as possible without putting them in danger's way, right? So that's one thing True Weather helps our clients do. We, you know, if we if we have an event occurring and it's about to occur, we help them figure out where to pre-deploy those assets, right? And then once they're pre-deployed and they're out of danger's way, the next step then is to know when you can get them up and as quickly as possible, safely, because, you know, there's weather still around hurricanes, even though the hurricane's over, you still got to worry about winds, you got to worry about, you know, different things. And so we want to make sure that, you know, you're not going to deploy them before they can hand, you know, the airworthiness standards are met. And then we help, then you want to help them target where to go. So we can look at, uh, you know, where we think the destruction might've been based on where the hurricane went, you know, where the exact landfall was, you know, and then you can help, target those drones to get into that location. And then once they're in there, they can start doing what they do to get the imaging back so that you can start saving lives. You know, thermal imaging is really critical to right. look for warm bodies, right, that are in rubble. But, you know, you got to know when to, that there's such thing as called thermal crossover. And you don't want to fly over somebody that's alive because the sun angle at that moment is warming up the surface and exactly. everything looks the same temperature. You might fly over and think, oh, there's nobody right. there. And meanwhile, there's somebody under there, right? So it's also about targeting when to fly those missions and making sure you're optimizing and not missing something like that. So there's a lot of little intricate weather pieces that go into all this. And that's not very well understood or practiced yet because this is all new. But that's what we did in the military. So like True Weather understands 
how to use IR sensors and 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 uh, thermal sensors and visual sensors and absolute humidity and and because we had to do that when we had right. to predict how to hit targets, right? We had to make sure we could see the target, right? So we're bringing all that to bear, and I think drones, you know, the more we can help them be successful in this environment where things are becoming more intense. Um, and, you know, there's more frequency of these events, you know, we can we can help with that in terms of, you know, drones themselves. Mm -hmm. Collecting data is also going to be important. Right. Like we talked about um, when you're dealing with fires, um, mm -hmm. you know, fires make their own weather. Right. So, you know, we don't that's an area we're starting to understand. And we actually have models now that actually have a feedback loop mm -hmm. from the fire back into the weather. But we still need data. Right. And, and having drones that could get close enough to collect data on weather. Right. Uh, I call it fire weather, you know, um, is critical because that's how we improve our models. That's how we understand how they're going to move, how the fires are going to behave, what kind of winds that you have right now. Um, and that's really critical for real time uh, safety of uh, assets on the ground. You know, you don't want to have people deployed on one side of the fire because right. everyone thinks the winds are blowing the other Absolutely. way. And then all of a sudden they turn on you. Right. We've had. Unfortunately, we've had loss of life due to that. And so that's the kind of stuff, you know, that we're thinking about and how drones could, for you know, assist in this climate change so, environment you know, that we're seeing. based on the training of this data and, and the collection that is ongoing, you know, as, as true weather develops, um, how real and how quickly, how real time rather, and how quickly... Well, I would I be able to access this data in making a decision? That's a great question. Great question. So, you know, one of the things that we're focusing on right now, um, we're focusing very heavily on urban areas because, um, you know, I just believe that there are, I don't want to get into it too much in the open, but there's ways that there's sensing capabilities out there that folks don't know about there that we think we can bring to bear in a city. And, if we can do that and and then we can be using smart city infrastructure and using edge computing, we can turn that data around a lot faster than you can today using conventional cloud and other things and communications. So the way I think about it is this, there's what we could do today and there's what we're going to be able to do in five years. Right. And I'm always building to the future. That's mm -hmm. the way I, you know, it's just the way I'm built. Right. Cause I want to, you know, I want to get that solution that we know is the good solution. And that would be, meeting your requirement you just talked about. I want that data fast. I want it now. The challenge we have is today you can get the data off of that platform and I could get that to you as an end user, but that's only one piece of data. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do with it, right? It's one piece of data. The key here is you got to fuse that with other data sets in real time, put it into something that makes sense, run the analytic fuse it in a way and get you a decision tool that, you know, isn't about that data, mm -hmm. but it's about what the heck's going to happen to you because of that data. That's, that's the long pole in the tent, right? I mean, we can get you a piece of data, but what good is that? So where we want to go in five years or 10 years is we want to be able to give you that operating picture in real time that has full data fusion capacity for all these different sensors. We turn that around into something either a, a nowcast or a very short forecast for an hour. And then we turn it around to you guys in minutes is what we want so that you can, um, you know, understand what's going to happen and, and, you know, get ahead of the problem. Right. And 
that's a very complex, right. you know, that's a lot of things. I, I can just appreciate talked about that them. somebody that yeah. is, you know, has a robust vision. Uh, it take, it's a journey and there's a lot of learning, uh, but it takes, it takes time to refine this. I mean, this, this technology is new um, and all the add-ons that actually make it work effectively take time. Well, here's my last question for you. Who should be developing strategies for weather management in their business models right now? I mean, we clearly know that drone companies should, but um, which drone companies uh, and outside of, of this, what adjacent um, sectors or verticals should be thinking about it as well? Well, you know, what's interesting is what you, what you find over the years is the the, the, the verticals, I call them industry verticals, that are best at using weather data and have the best strategy. And I like to call it, you know, weather management or weather resiliency or whatever. Um, they're the ones that have figured out that weather can make them money, right? And these are the commodities markets, uh, renewable energy, right? I mean, you know, they've been able to successfully demonstrate through, a, you know, through through big data and 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 through different analytics and stuff that you know whether data is really important for them to be able to to not lose money or make money and so the business model is there for some verticals and it's very simple for them to see it and they've been able to execute it and so the challenge in other areas is how do you and you and, and generally speaking you can a small group of 10 people who are doing commodities trading, they could build an, you know, an app or they could build a, uh, a capability to mm -hmm. infuse weather data into a software and they'll, they could train those 10 people to use it so effectively mm -hmm. because there's only 10 people, right. And they're all in the same office. And, and, but the problem in getting out to bigger industries is that if you're talking about a trucking company, if you're talking about, you know, a drone company, if you're talking about even emergency management, there are so many end users in the value chain that it's really difficult to get everyone on the same page about how mm -hmm. they should use weather data, how that data mm -hmm. should be integrated into decision making, because everyone has their own biases about weather. Everyone has been trained to use different apps and do comparisons of different things. And they all think mm -hmm. they everyone thinks they're a weather person, too. That's the other challenge sometimes. And so, you know, they watch the guy on TV or whatever. And, and this just throws total chaos into the system. You know, how could you have a stable decision process in an organization if you have 10, diff 10 people in 10 key positions looking at 10 different weather sources and making decisions about things that are interoperable in their business? They, mm -hmm. The whole thing turns into chaos, right? So we've got to get, you know, the first thing we have to do is we got to find the industries that recognize the importance of data and have the tools to change that paradigm I just said, right? Like to really be able to ensure everybody's using the same types of data when they're making decisions within the organization to get on the same page, then you'll start seeing the interoperability improve. You'll see decisions improve. And that's when you start getting the ROI, right? So I, I really felt like the drone industry was a good industry to do this. And here's the reason why. Most of the other industries mm -hmm. are legacy. They've been around a long time, right? And so they already have very ingrained processes about things. And, you know, to go in there now and say, you know, you should be thinking about weather differently or you should spend this money to re retrofit your system so you can think about weather differently. They kind of look at you and go, well, how am I going to do that? I can't afford it. You know, I, I got this system. You know, how am I going to train these people? You know, blah, blah, blah. It's a hard problem, right? It's always hard to change something. 
But in this industry, we have all the most modern technology. We have the most modern data, you know, systems. We have interface, you know, capabilities that are advanced software, plug and play easy, right? Data fungibility. Um, and we're building analytics right now for decision-making that are probably the most advanced of any vertical because you could do it from scratch and you can do it now the right way. So in my opinion, if we get the weather uh, resiliency and management piece well understood early in the process, all these software providers that are supporting drone operations can build this into the system up front and it will be adapted because it's in the system and you don't have uh -huh. to go around and retrain people, right? You just build it in. And then they start using it. And, and that, to me, is why I'm excited about this industry. So you, you got a lot of work to do, Mr. Birchoff. So my hat's off to you. Um, <laughs> we're looking forward to that project, of course, in the industry. Well, listen, those have been your six questions. Thank you for joining Zio Pass. It's so great to have you on. And we look forward to talking with you again in the future. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to just to share what we're thinking about and hopefully educate and get folks excited about what's possible. That's yeah, really exactly, what the objective is, exactly. right? Exactly. Well, Don, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. ZeoCast is a podcast dedicated to all things unmanned and geospatial. Only six questions per guest so you can get the essence of their wisdom. Brought to you by Zio Air, an outsourced AI-based drone services and data management company. www.zioair.com. This week on ZioCast with Bronwyn Morgan is Michael Hill. Michael is the founder of Cumulus Technologies, a UAS consulting company. Michael has become one of the top experts in unmanned aerial vehicles urban air mobility and their integration into the national airspace with unmanned traffic management. Michael is also a Part 107 pilot, accumulating over 2,100 flight hours. He's earned certifications from FEMA, OSHA, and has achieved the highest level of UAS safety certifications, Pro Level 3, from the Unmanned Safety Institute. We've got a lot to talk about today, so join me in welcoming Michael Hill. <music>